Hi, everybody. This is your cousin, Brucey. And you are about to go on an excursion following your dream with our host, Robert Miller, a great podcast. And I'm looking forward to listening to I Love to Follow My Dream. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. I am your host, Robert Miller. This podcast is for all you dreamers out there. Everyone has a dream. Mine was music. It took me a long time to pursue my dream, but finally, when I was in my 60s, I followed my dream to success. So I guess you could say I'm living proof that you're never too old and it's never too late to follow your dream. As listeners to this podcast know, each episode of the podcast starts with a different song of mine that's played underneath the introduction. In this episode, you heard a little bit, a snippet of my song, Ride em High, by my band Project Grand Slam, which is off of our 2018 Billboard number one album called Trippin'. I'll tell you more about it, and you'll hear the entire song at the end of this episode. I chose this song because it's one of the songs that I promoted on the incredible music network that has been created by my guest this week. Sandy Shore is the founder and CEO of Smooth Jazz Global. She's created a worldwide empire around smooth jazz music, including internet broadcasting, events, and festivals. She's opened up this genre to millions of people all around the world. I've known Sandy and Smooth Jazz Global for years. Although I don't really consider myself a smooth jazz artist, some of my songs, like Ride em High, have been attractive to the smooth jazz audience. And I've marveled at the way that she's grown and developed her audience, her business, and her brand. So, Sandy, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Thank you so much, Robert. That's a lovely introduction. And congratulations to you, you know, for your success and your inspiring story. Well, it's taken a long time, but it's nice to know that things do turn out well if you pursue them the way that I did and the way that you did. Absolutely. So yeah. Tell me, tell me this. What was your dream when you were young? What did you want to do most in your life? I knew when I was eight years old that I wanted to be in radio. And I have no idea why, you know, that fascinated me the way it did. And, you know, I didn't have any female role models in radio that I was listening to, but that really didn't, that didn't phase me at all. I just thought, well, this is what I want to do. I want to be a DJ. And I carried around one of those little AM transistor radios with me, <laughs> you know, everywhere I went. And um, I just was obsessed with well, the music, I loved the music and I loved how it was presented. And those DJs became my friends. You know, they got me. They was got it me AM radio day. or was it FM radio that you were listening to? Back then, you know, in the, this was been the seventies, you know, I was just a kid. So I was of course very attracted to pop and top 40 and FM wasn't on those little transistors yet. Right. You know, that hadn't, right. you know, I, I have to say, you know, while I, I know we live in a youth obsessed world 
and I, I do do my best to cling to my youth or my youthful spirit. I'm very grateful to have been alive during that time because there's nothing like the moment when I first heard FM. I remember it too. Years, you know, know, as a kid. And then one day somebody said, check out FM, right? Remember that? Yep. A hundred percent. In New York City, the first FM station was WNEW. And it was like our ears exploded because now they were playing album cuts and all this cool music. And we didn't even know that FM existed before then. Yes, exactly. I just remember my mind, my little mind was blown when somebody put a pair of Walkman headphones on me and said, listen to this. And it, it was, I just think of the Steely Dan song, no static at all. You know, <laughs> it was truly incredible. Well, you know, in the days when people actually did have transistor radios, you may know this, that Phil Spector and guys like him that produced records, when they finished producing the records, they didn't listen to them for the final on the big studio monitors. They listened to them on transistor radios because that's mm -hmm. what their audience was going to be hearing it on. So yeah. I always remembered that, okay? And when I, nowadays, when I record my music, I don't care what it sounds like in the studio. What I have my engineer do is to email me the track, and I load it into my iPhone, and I listen on my iPhone. Why? Because that's the way most of my audience is going to listen to the music. So when you're listening to you know radio back in the 70s, you had to have that transistor radio. That's exactly right. You're right. When they built those, uh, the audio, you know, or remember the whole wall of sound thing and, and all of that, they were, they were thinking about what it would sound like on, on AM. Yeah. And that, that did fascinate me, you know, and I, I love the personality side of radio for sure, but I really love the music. And my mother was a musician. She was a pianist and I listened to that growing up. My father had a huge affinity for jazz. So I grew up listening to you know, just amazing jazz artists of his time. And that's when I first discovered Bob James was through my father, you know, and, but when I started taking to listening to my own music, it was AM and it was pop. And I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday about how top 40 was back then is very much how kids are listening to music today on Spotify. You know, we, we heard everything. It didn't have to be, it wasn't just, rock that got played or pop that got played or i mean there was instrumental music back then that would make it to top 40 herb albert was on my listening channel you know what i mean so the world has kind of gone full circle but with much better fidelity i completely agree with you back then everything got played on the radio there weren't these gatekeepers that now yes. are everywhere in radio that basically limit who can get on what station and what they will play and you know AM at that time, at least from my experience, was all around the top 40. So there were limits as to who got played on AM. But when FM came out, it was just a completely open space. Everything exactly. got played. Exactly. Until, you know, it wasn't. <laughs> so who were your favorite DJs back then? When I was growing up, you know, I, I grew up on the West Coast. I'm on the West Coast. So I listened to Robert W. Morgan. And then when I moved to Southern California for a while, uh, I'm originally from Santa Monica, but my family brought us to the Monterey Peninsula where I was fortunate enough to spend my childhood. But going back to LA in, in my teens, I listened to Rick Dees in the morning and I was really excited about some of the you know, kind of boss radio. Um, I had a friend who was working for KRLA when they brought back the 
the oldies. So they actually brought back the real Don Steele, who I didn't hear the first time because I wasn't born in the 50s. But I got to hear him in the 80s and he came back and did, you know, his his shtick. And they even brought back Wolfman Jack and Wolfman you know, Jack. Yeah. You know, all those crazy characters. But then I started to really study radio personalities. They, you know, radio personality versus DJ is just a sophistication level, you know, like Carrie Tombazian, who was on K-Earth and Talia, who was on The Wave and China Smith. These are all LA personalities that just had the voice of silk and, and they really could relate to you. So I studied them and lo and behold, I got hired. My first Los Angeles gig was working with all of those, uh, with Carrie and Talia and China Smith. And it, I was only uh, 21. And of course I got hired for the absolute worst shift overnight weekends. <laughs> You know, I did the 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. shift Saturday and Sunday night, but I, I didn't care. I mean, there I was working on the same board and microphone as, you know, people that I had studied, that I'd listened to and, you know, tried to sort of kind of want to, didn't want to copy them exactly, but I wanted to get their relatability style. Sure. Did you have to work the board and everything yourself, or did, did they have an engineer and all of that with you? Oh, yeah. No, I worked the board and everything. In fact, I only had one job in my whole career that was considered union, where they wouldn't let you touch the board. And I thought, oh, this is not for me, because I love the excitement of it all. I'm kind of a gadget girl, you know? <laughs> and the excitement of mixing music live is, I mean, there's just nothing like that, you know? I had a little bit of that experience myself in college. I was on the college radio station and I used to love doing it. Okay. And we had to do everything ourselves. You know, we, we were the board, we were the music, we were the, the news, we were the weather and it was great. I loved it. Oh, it was really exciting. In fact, when I ended up moving back to the Monterey Bay in the nineties, I got hired for a radio station that I think rock and roll fans around the world know about. It's a, it was considered a triple A station, you know that term in, in sure. radio. Yeah, album alternative, adult alternative, adult album alternative. adult alternative. Yeah, they've so changed that, those things over time. I think. Yeah, they were really pioneers. The station, they were the call letters are KPIG, KPIG, <laughs> and it's world famous. You know, uh, and it's from Santa Cruz, California. And when I was hired there, I thought I don't know about this. I was just coming from the very polished smooth jazz station in LA called the wave and man, everything was very scripted and, you know, and, and tight, tight ship. And it was in the Fox news building in LA, you know, and it was like really professional. And then I was hired at this place in Santa Cruz called Cape pig. And I thought, what am I going to do there? I mean, I don't even know how to freeform anymore, you know? And I got to this station and it was Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash. But then we got to play Blues Traveler and Counting Crows and, you know, Melissa Etheridge. But anything, anything went. And I started to, it ended up becoming one of my most favorite career stops because of the creativity. And then, you know what, Robert, we didn't even have a, a playlist. We were winging it. And we had vinyl and CDs to choose from all around us. So we didn't know the next song until we were inspired to play the next song. So <laughs> it was really exciting. It's like radio heaven. Okay. That doesn't exist anymore, does it? No, it doesn't. In fact, the people that ended up buying that property came in and said, now, how do you know what your next song is? And we said, we don't. And he said, oh, we can't have this. <laughs> <laughs> We can't have this. So how did you make the transition into smooth jazz? Well, I've, you know, it's funny because I've always enjoyed 
the art of of music mixing. So, you know, I've never labeled songs. I just, you know, I, I've never seen songs as having to be in, in one category or the other. So for me, when I was hearing instrumental music in, let's say, the 80s, I guess, when I, or, you know, back to when I was a kid listening to Bob James, I didn't hear that as jazz. And then when I would go listen to Jackson Brown or Elton John, it was all really good music to me. So when smooth jazz started, the, the name of that format was NAC, New Adult Contemporary. And it was primarily instrumental music. And I started to listen to it and I thought, well, this is just really good melodic stuff without words, which originally didn't attract me so much because I'm really a lyrics person, you know, first and foremost. I, I just, I love words. I love poetry and I love lyrics. So I started to hear the melody and feel it. And I thought, this is really cool. And then I got an opportunity to work for The Wave in LA. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to learn this stuff really quick. And that would have been 1988. So fortunately, I had the background growing up in, uh, with my around my father's music. And then my husband at the time was a really big musicologist and knew all like Shadow Facts and all these, Pat Metheny, and I was exposed to that. So I just started to really embrace the sound because I was on the radio playing it, fell in love with it and realized it's it's just good music often without words. And, you know, I've been with this genre since 1988 because I kind of fell into the gig of being on the air and madly fell in love with it. And I realized it's what it is. It's just another color. It's another shade of, of music that we can blend with all the other good music. Because smooth jazz isn't really a pure format. It's an umbrella term for smooth, soulful music. And I think more than anybody else, you have helped to create this into a phenomenon. Well, thank you. I, I was very fortunate back in, um, you know, the dream thing that I know that's the theme here. And I, I have a saying in my life. It's the Thoreau quote, in the end, we only hit what we aim for. So that's the dream. So to me, yes, I had a dream. I wanted to be in radio, on radio at eight. You don't really know what that looks like. But when I was uh, in, in my teenage years in high school, I remember the teacher saying, now, write about your dreams. What do you want to do? And then they made you stand up and read it. And I talked about being on the radio and what that would do for me. I thought it would open doors to uh, fulfill passions around music for me. And, and this is one of those sad stories where the teacher stood up and said, well, you know, because I was on the radio at 15 in Monterey at a tiny little FM, AM station, and the teacher stood up which I think is pretty phenomenal, a kid on the radio at 15, you know, <laughs> he stood up and said, listen, when you get on the air at a station in Sacramento, California, an FM station, then you talk to me about doing something big. And man, that just stuck oh, with me. That's awful. That's awful. And I thought, you know, and then now it's what I just kind of connect the dots. And, and I thought, I wonder what that teacher would think now, you know, that, I have a station that's actually heard around the world, not right. just Sacramento <laughs> or Monterey. You can but, go uh, back and kick that butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, that's just something that's kind of stuck with me because the dream, you know. So I, I say that because in the 90s, when I was able, very fortunate enough to procure smoothjazz.com, the domain, a friend of mine locally said, I think it's available. I know that word's been used for the format and it hadn't really taken place yet. They weren't calling it officially smooth jazz around the country. And he said, do you want to get it? It's a hundred bucks. I can get the domain for you. And you know, at that time I was probably making $7 an hour as a DJ and I had to forego the light bill 
to get that domain. And I said, yes, I'll take it and I'll figure out the electricity <laughs> another time. <laughs> and it was the best decision, you know, I've, I've ever made because I, I believed in that dream that um, I loved gadgetry. I loved uh, music. And I thought something is going to change because so many people were dissatisfied with how music was being delivered, you know, controlled playlists, gatekeepers, like you said. I figured one day, this is probably going to be one of the best things that I could ever do. We'll just see how it pans out. And honest to God, it wasn't for about five or seven years later when we could finally broadcast on the internet. Wow. I'm talking here with Sandy Shore, who is the founder and CEO of Smooth Jazz Global. And uh, she's had an incredible life and an incredible story. And I now want to get into the buildup of Smooth Jazz Global. Tell me how it started. Tell me what you've done with it. I will. Um, so kind of gave you the little beginning uh, seeds there when we bought the domain. I, I bought the domain and it was a, a challenge for me to get that smoothjazz.com URL. Fortunately, where I'm located geographically, just about 60 miles to the south of the San Jose Valley, which is, you know, Silicon Valley, there are a lot of people that I came into contact with, uh, just very, very lucky, you know, but, but then again, when we have our dream and that light shining, I don't know if it's luck or if it's something like energy that you're drawn to, you know, you're drawn to the right people because I always say the universe is on record. So <laughs> it's listening, it's listening. So, you know, um, I just was really fortunate to pay attention to what was happening in that time, pre-internet boom. And anyway, got the domain and started kind of kicking tires and partnered up with the right people and just said, um, okay, I don't have any money. And they didn't have any money. And it was like, well, well let's just keep trying to see what, it, what it's going to take to broadcast on the internet. Because I could see the writing on the wall for, for radio, for terrestrial radio. Um, it was going, it was all about the advertisement and not about the music and certainly not about letting new artists in. So we just kept building it. And I met a friend who said, who was in actually a colleague of mine at KPIG who said, just build your library. Keep making, put all of your MP3s in a library. This would have been 97. And he said, one day, you know, we'll have this figured out. There was no streaming then. If you might, if you remember back to those days, if you tried to download any audio, it would take seven minutes for a 20 second sample. So it wasn't until streaming started that we could do it, you know, and so we just kept trying on and I was doing other things. I was a DJ. I was doing live concert events in Monterey, just dabbling. Then in the year 2000, we had everything ready to go. I was fortunate enough to be considered by Shoutcast, who was um, then purchased by AOL, to be grandfathered in on their big experiment of trying to see how it, how broadcasting would go on the internet. So they gave us free bandwidth. And mm -hmm. we were one of very few, like three stations that were that signed on the internet without an FM signal. Because the only thing that had happened up until that time were FM radio stations trying to broadcast, relay their signal on the internet. And then that got shut down very quickly because there were all the fees involved. So FM closed that door. But we... You know, we we proceeded with it, and in March of 2000, we were the first jazz station to ever hit the internet without being FM. 
And it was really exciting, Robert. I mean, we started to watch the numbers go up and up and up and discovered places we'd never heard of in, in around the world, listening, sending us email, you know? Isn't that a very cool aspect of the world where we are right now, that your signal, your programs, everything about Smooth Jazz Global travels around the world. And I'm sure you have, I'm sure you have listeners in every nook and cranny. I, the last I checked, it was almost 220 countries that ha, that are tuning in. Yeah, I, I'll tell you something. What we were surprised about was that the format was so popular. Like you know, because on FM it was folding quickly. These consultants were playing 300 songs total in libraries. It was the same songs over and over again. It was destroying the sound. So it became a joke. The format became comical and people would make fun of it. And you would always hear about, you know, Kenny G. And I feel bad for him. I don't, not really, because he's very well off. But I mean, (laughs) I felt bad for him at the time because he became the butt of the joke, you know, a very talented musician. And it's, it wasn't really fair to him, but we all became the butt of the joke with smooth jazz. But then something massive happened when it went global. And kids, like I got an email, the first email I ever had was from a student in uh, Slovenia. I'd never even heard of Slovenia at that time, you know, tucked away there in Europe by Italy. And he said, I'm listening to you. I'm 19 years old. I'm listening to you while I study for college. And that was the beginning. And then it just you know, other countries, other cities in America that had never really heard of smooth jazz, didn't know the joke, didn't care about it, just loved the music. And we realized our responsibility is to keep it relevant and cool and hip and keep it growing because we didn't want our audience aging out. And now if you think about it, 21 years later, listen to new music from pop icons. I mean, seriously, listen to The Weeknd, listen to Justin Bieber, those beats and that and the and the melodies that that has been influenced by the smooth jazz vibe, so I'm just excited, um, still feeling relatively young-ish, that we've come this far and the format really is embraced uh, on a global level and it's becoming an unformat. You know, it's it's just part of the soundtrack of life now. The the global aspect of music now is really, to me, one of the most exciting aspects of the whole thing. I mean, for, for me, for example, we, we played a festival a couple of years ago in Serbia, of all places. Wow. Inside a castle that was about 500 years old, they had two stages set up, 20,000 people. And the remarkable thing to me was not just the setting, but the fact that so many of the people in the audience knew us and knew our music. They barely spoke English, okay? But they had been exposed to our music as part of this worldwide phenomenon that you're speaking about. And even now, when I get up in the morning, I kind of check where have people kind of you know gotten onto our website from. And of course, most of them are coming from the United States, but I, I, we've got people from every country in the world that somehow find us. And that's a remarkable aspect. That's one of the great things that's, that's happened with the advent of the internet. It's really made everything, including music, into a global phenomenon. Definitely. And you know, your band has a sound that is, you know, multi-generational, multi-genre. I mean, you've got the coolest sound. It's a fusion, you know, of rock, jazz, and, you know, pop and, and, and classic and new. So I imagine you're being really embraced globally. I mean, 
kids love that stuff and adults love that stuff. Those of us who remember some of the covers that you have done a unique <laughs> spin on, you know, and those who, who want to know, like I'll go into businesses that are being run by millennials and they're playing stuff I grew up listening to. And I'm thinking, this is all new to them. They think it's, it's awesome, you know? That's right. And so we have to remember, you know, that this world is contributed by the past, the present, the future. And I'm super excited because I've always lived that way. Even as a young person, I used to think, now that's interesting that the older generations don't really want to get to know me. I felt like back in my, my time, we had to know our place until we were in the right place you know? And nowadays that's not the rule anymore. I could sit and visit with somebody who's in their twenties, just as easy as I could sit and visit with someone in my own decade in my, in their fifties, you know? So it's an interesting time. I think music, musically speaking, people are embracing that. And I can totally understand why the global audience is responding to to you and your band for sure. It's been uh, it's been a really lovely trip for me, and it has been a wonderful trip for you, as as I can as we've heard today. Tell me this: I'm sure that there were struggles along the way, and I always want to ask my guests tell us a little bit about some of those struggles. It, it could not have been a straight path to success because there's no such thing as a straight path to success. So, what were some of the things you had to deal with along the way? Oh yeah, there there is no straight path. And I think those of us, you know, I mean, I still think there's struggle, you know, with the with the dreams, right? Even even now, it's like there's so much work that can be done and only so much time to do it. And we're all self-funded over here. This isn't like a company that was heavily invested in. So, you know, you're always I always say we have to pay for the cloud we're dancing on. You know, so it's like, let's, um, let's, you always have to keep that in mind, you know, so your priorities have to get sorted so that you can afford to keep going with the dream. And, and honestly, that, that saying is true. The money follows. I do believe that. But, you know, the beginning stages, there were hours and hours and hours invested, uh, like nights, couch surfing nights to, you know, you do your day job and you come home and sit on the couch, try to watch TV and do the programming stuff and all mm. the things it takes to launch an internet website like smoothjazz.com. Hours and hours and hours and try to get people to volunteer to help you or work for a little to no money, <laughs> you know, you must see my dream. Don't, don't you see the dream? Please come with us. You know, a lot of doors closing. Uh, when we first started, one of, I think one of the biggest obstacles, honestly, was people couldn't transition listeners that we would know locally that knew me from local FM radio and local concert production couldn't make that transition to online. It just, you know, if you think about it, you do have to have a pretty progressive mind to go from a radio on your desktop or your car to the internet or to the, your computer. A lot of people were really shutting down around that. So um, I used to have to really break it down for them. I'd run into them in grocery stores and they'd say, yeah, but you're not on my FM dial. And I would say, yeah, but guess what? You can just open your computer and press play and we'll be right there. You At know? any time. At any time. So I think the challenge for us was technology. Our dreams were always ahead of the curve. Then Steve Jobs did the greatest thing by inventing the tablet and the devices. And I know he wasn't the inventor of all that, but he did get, he was the guy responsible for putting them in the hands of most people. And that changed everything for us. You know, our listenership 
just went nuts once we developed the app and listening became easier. So I would say our biggest challenges were, you know, getting ahead of ourselves and waiting for the world to catch up. What's the future like for Smooth Jazz Global? What are your big plans and initiatives? You know, we just want our infrastructure to be really smooth and easy um, because I, I tell people we're a small company with a large footprint. So we have an amazing team here of about eight of us. And so the the goals are to hone our systems, you know, and try to preserve our energy so that when the world opens up again, you know, and it will, we can get back out there to the festivals and the events and, and help shine the light around the world to what this lifestyle music format is about. So really, I think right now we've taken advantage of the times we're living in with COVID and we're you know, reinventing our systems, you know, so that everything runs smoothly, so that our time is productive, so that we can keep the the magic going, but also get away and 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 show people what the lifestyle of the format is. Just we'll be focusing more on this music as a lifestyle by getting back out to the events, the festivals, and hopefully we'll see you in Project Grand Slam out there. Well, it's uh, everyone is waiting for a time when we can get back to those things. And hopefully, as you said, it will happen, hopefully again in 2021, depending upon us, so many things. Uh, seems to change every day what they tell you the prognostications are. But for musicians, this has been a very difficult period for sure. Yeah, We were not able to play even online because of certain technical impediments. There are some people that are doing the, the live performances online, but it's still not the same as playing, you know, the big festivals and the concerts in person. The kind of feedback that you get from an audience is not there when you're doing it online, but it's the, the, the next best thing that people are doing right now. Absolutely. And I, I know one of the things that's happened to us during COVID at smoothjazz.com global is an onslaught of new recordings from artists. And so a lot of the talent have, you know, if they can, they've gone into the studio or their home studios and recorded and created. And we just got deluged with new releases in 2020. Um, and honestly, I was telling the team just brace for impact here without the festivals and some of our marketing revenue from festivals, we might we might need to just be careful for the next year or so running the company, but the opposite happened. We just got hit by every artist and label on the planet. And I felt like we became the Netflix of smooth jazz, you know? <laughs> so it was, it was an exciting time, but I, I know that that creativity can in the studio creativity can only go so far. There, there are technical limitations on playing live. I was really impressed by Michael McDonald's approach to it, where he did two live streaming shows and a very low ticket price. And I heard those went extremely well. So um, some people were able to leverage, you know, the situation and get out of the craziness of being home alone, you know, but we do need to get back. I know people need to see these shows live. We need to mingle again and the artists need to perform. So I will ask you one final question here. It's been a terrific experience talking to you here and hearing about everything in your life and the development of this wonderful company of yours. This is a podcast about and for dreamers, people that have a dream. And I believe that everybody's got a dream, even if they have not been able to pursue that dream. What would be your advice 
to people out there who are the dreamers that have a dream that for whatever reason have not been able to pursue it yet or didn't want to pursue it yet or were precluded by life for some reason from following their dream as you have done what would be your advice to them i believe the classic line dream until your dreams come true and i will say this i think the best piece of advice i could offer is to you know that that thorough quote we only hit what we aim for so don't give up on that dream you know spotlight that dream but enjoy the process because every day every choice is a step closer to that dream but enjoy the process because you eventually will hit it and you know don't race don't rush you know and just enjoy where you are right now because it goes by so fast you know and it's it's i think in looking back with all the struggle and all the challenges and all the people that didn't understand it didn't get it it doesn't matter i had a great run up and there's still more to go for me but you know i i always rushed even as a kid i was never bored i was always rushing i was always rushing to get to the dream so just enjoy it enjoy the process and trust you will get where you're going terrific where can people reach you if they'd like to communicate with you I'm on social media. You can find me um, personally, Sandy Shore, on Facebook. And I think the uh, brand page for me is Sandy Shore Music. The The friend page is uh, Sandy Shore for you, the number four and you. And then I'm on Instagram at, at Sandy Shore and Twitter at Sandy Shore. Everybody has to be everywhere these days, right? Yeah. And of course, <laughs> you can log on to smoothjazz.com. I would love it if you would do that. And then download the app. The app is super cool. It's called Smooth Global. Two words available for free on uh, Apple Music and, and Google Play. Terrific. I'd like to thank my guest, Sandy Shore, for being on the show. You've been listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Again, I'm your host, Robert Miller. Remember to get your complimentary dream roadmap where I lay out my five steps to pursue and succeed at your dream just by going to followyourdreampodcast.com slash dream roadmap. Again, that's followyourdreampodcast.com slash dream roadmap. And if you liked what you heard today, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And feel free to contact me at any time at Robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. Again, that's Robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. I will respond to all emails. And now, as promised, you're, you're going to hear all of the song that we started out playing at the beginning called Ride em High. This is a song that I wrote and was chosen by Spotify a couple of years ago to be on one of their curated playlists, which makes a big difference because you get a lot more exposure that way. And as a result, it's gotten well over half a million streams. It's a song that's on our album Trippin', which went to number one on Billboard, and it still remains one of our biggest selling albums. You can hear all of my music and you can learn all about my band, Project Grand Slam, by going to projectgrandslam.com and the pgsstore.com. Thank you for listening. See you next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com and you can hear more from his band 
at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com.